0: Welcome to the Less Chew podcast, presented by Gulf Food, the largest annual FMB sourcing event in the world. I'm your host, Jueria Hersey, bringing you compelling stories and insights to a wide range of topics in the food and drinks industry, from farming, behind the scenes, to the culinary world, and to foods we simply love to chew on. In this podcast series, we speak to people, brands, and businesses across the food and drink spectrum to find out more about why they do what they do and how, in their own way, they're championing change and shifting the future of food and drink. Trust me, there's so much more. So listen to the Less True podcast on our website, gulffood.com, and subscribe to our newsletter for the latest updates in food. Welcome back to another episode of the Less us podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jewari Hersey, and on today's episode, we have the one and only award-winning Tatiana Antonelli, who is the founder and managing director of Gumbuk, a social enterpri- enterprise established in 2009, which is dedicated to raising awareness among the local community on sustainability and green living. Welcome to the show, Tatiana.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: It's a pleasure to have you on today. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to where you are today.
1: Well, um, I came to the UAE back in 2005, and I had just uh, finished my studies in um, architecture, urban planning. I was very excited because, you know, Dubai was this new city coming up. And um, for me, it was like seeing... Uh, seeing it happening in front of me every night, you know, new floor. And we were living in the marina at that time. There were only, I think, six buildings. Um, but somehow I could see how the there was no infrastructure. Something was lacking behind, for example, the, the sewage, the waste management. And so I wanted to understand a bit better what was happening, why those aspects of, you know, uh, building a new city, why was why were not those aspects taken care of? And I started looking into specifically sewage because uh, building a new city, uh, at that time, we had hundreds of labor camps. And these labor camps needed, you know, infrastructure, specifically sewage. And somehow one of the problems was that that was not taken care of. There was a, a big problem with managing the sewage and only one plant in Dubai that could do it. And that converted into having hundreds of trucks lining up in the desert to reach the sewage plant to be able to treat the water. But sometimes that queue could last two to three days. And in the heat, some of the drivers, uh, truck drivers would actually not make it. They didn't have any, enough water or enough food. They were tired and they would actually not queue and illegally dump them the sewage in the sea. And that uh, created a a big problem back then where suddenly one morning Dubai woke up with the water being, you know, brown almost and with very high level of E. coli in the water. Um, So the beaches were closed for some time, but that's where I thought... Why are we not treating the the sewage? And at the end of the day, we live in a desert where water is such a precious resource. We could do something with the sewage and treat it and get the water um, out of it. So I started uh, researching and looking at solutions. I met an incredible lady. She works in war zones. She helps governments to actually establish military bases, At that time, it was uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And she explained to me how when you, you know, create those uh, military bases, you have to take care of the waste of the water. And somehow, uh, the waste and the sewage was treated 100% and would deliver drinking water to the soldiers on on a daily basis. So, of course for me at that point it was not about drinking the water but um, let's look at for example agriculture and, and irrigation in the country we're very lucky to live in this country which is green you know the beauty of of the UAE when you come here you think you're coming to the desert but actually it's so lush full of greenery and beautiful flowers and trees and plants but that requires a lot of water. So what can we do and why don't we use you know, water that's considered waste and treat it? And actually Dubai is at the forefront of, of, of doing this. For many, many years actually Dubai Municipality has been using treated water. Um, so somehow this hooked me into the whole reusing and, and uh, the, the importance of resources. At the same time I had babies and, and young uh, children and for me it was really important to understand what i was feeding them organic food and the chemicals that were in the products that i was using for them i've never been a tree hugger i've never been someone who was specifically attached to the environment or concerned uh, maybe because i gave it for granted i come from uh, from italy where nature is everywhere all around and I give it for granted and somehow when I came here I realized that actually it's something that needs protection, needs attention um, and that as a mother I felt the responsibility of, you know, what am I doing for my children, for them as as, as human beings, what am I feeding them, what am I doing to to their skin and to their bodies, at the same time what am I doing to the environment around them, um, what is going to happen in 20, 30 years, are they going to have, you know, a healthy environment where to live in. Are they gonna have enough water, enough food? So this sparked in me a, a will to learn more and, and share it with the people around me. And I think I've been nagging a lot of people to dinners. <laughs> <laughs> so finally someone told me, why don't you start a website and put it on the website for everyone to, you know, access? And so this is how Goombook started. Um, And the name Goombok is uh, the usual question. What is Goombok? I didn't want it to be another green something or eco something. And also because at that time it was a bit of a fashion, you know, in Europe and in the States. Everything was about going green and being eco-friendly. So uh, because, you know, uh, I loved the UAE and I had at that time been here already five years, I thought I wanted something specifically to this culture and to the country. And researching... The life, the before construction, before modern times of, of the Bedouins, they were a very sustainable uh, community. Mm. And the way they, w- they used to live, they would never waste anything. they would share all the resources. So it's very co- community based. Um, and the tribe in Emirati is called the Gum. Uh, so that's where I decided, OK, let's be a tribe. And uh, the book comes from in that. Let's learn. Let's open a book and try to find out more about what I need to do, what I need to
0: um, live a can green I life. Yes, that's so beautiful. And how are you transforming the region's sustainable de- development, especially in the F&B industry? Well, the way we've been working so far is really
1: starting from the awareness and the education in every single uh, topic we we look at. Because, I mean, when we look at sustainability, it's so many different things, right? Yes, it's the environment, but it's also about the people, the social aspect, um, and also about business. We need to make sure that our businesses are profitable, otherwise When we're going nowhere, if suddenly there's no profitability and prosperity. So, the first thing was more about connecting people with nature, understanding where we live, uh, specifically the desert. Many people think that it's just an empty, a pit of sand that uh, is not important and we don't have to protect. But actually, the desert is a very rich ecosystem. We all come from different parts of the world, which is the beauty of the UAE. But at the same time, we're maybe used to other environments that are greener, lusher. So we think the desert it's not an ecosystem or worth protecting and conserving. So the first thing we did was to connect people to nature, take them out, plant trees, Um, And that really made people understand the importance of water conservation, first of all. Um, But at the same time, when you talk about planting trees, you also talk about soil, you talk about uh, growing food. So we started running different campaigns, some of them related to the environment, of course. Plastic pollution is a big topic. Um, But then we also started a campaign called Eat It or Save It to really point the finger at food waste which again is something that for for a long time we haven't really looked at as, you know, consumers. We are pushed by uh, the society and by uh, everyday life to consume more and try more and and um, import more uh, or different types of cuisine and, and try all of them. But at the same time, we were never told, listen, um, this food has been imported from very far away. Or, this food, when you don't finish it and your plate is going to end up into the landfill. Um, there are, there's, there's data finally out there that can really show us the, the impact of food waste, for example. Out of all the food that is produced worldwide, a third of it goes to waste. So, if you think about, of course, the environmental impact of waste, of the food waste going to a landfill, it's shameful. But if you think about all the people who are suffering hunger right now in the world, this is where we really need to change. Um, So, of course, when we talk about food waste, people look at environmental impact, but I think it's very important all the time, everything we do, to also look at the social impact. Um, And food waste, I mean, it starts, I would say it's important to understand there's two different types. There's food loss, which is when we actually lose food at the production stage mm-hmm. um many farmers will produce let's say one ton of food out of that one ton some food will be lost because it doesn't look good it's not the right size it's not shiny and perfect um and so just because they're perfectly fine but don't look good they actually end up um a lot of food also doesn't make it because of um, logistics. It takes too much time to transport that food or it's not done properly or refrigeration is not in place. So there's a lot that happens before the food comes into the supermarket, into the shelves and that we purchase it. And then the, the waste is from the moment we have that food in our fridge, what do we do with it? Do we look at the expiry date? Um do we just say, oh, it looks bad, I'm going to throw the whole fruit or the whole vegetable, but we could just remove a little part of it and continue consuming it. And then how do we cook it, and how do we keep it to, you know, reuse it the next day? So we are really into a a society where we need to consume more and and fresh and beautiful all the time. So I think our biggest problem is consumption.
0: True. And as part of your awareness um, campaign you're someone who is passionate about empowering youth and uh, so what are you doing to engage the youth or the future generation in becoming more food secure change makers so again it all starts from the awareness and the education
1: we want to empower them specifically at the moment we are looking at the sustainable development goals We started a youth program where we want them to have a a broader vision of what is needed to, you know, guarantee um, a prosperous future. Um, So they are able to look at the different aspects. And one of them, of course, is is food security. Um, When we talk about that, we actually ran last year at the Food for Future Summit that was organized by the Ministry of Climate Change and Environment. We had a special event called FoodWise where we invited schools and universities to participate and come up with ideas and solutions on how they think uh, we could solve the problem of uh, food waste. The solutions that came up were incredible. The judges who participated in the last phase, the, the shark tank, let's put it that way, yeah. were really impressed with the solutions that youth um, had come up with. I think even a couple of judges invested in one of these solutions. So I think youth is really there to be part of the solution. They, are, they need to be part of the conversation, not just as having them in the room. That's not enough anymore. <laughs> not. We need to bring them in the discussion and the solution.
0: So what are the biggest challenges you're facing F- facing right now to achieve your goal to get the sustainable development or the awareness around the, this region. What are some of the um, obstacles and how are you addressing them? Well, I think um, the main
1: obstacle sometimes is um, the, the general education. I feel that sustainability is still a nice to have. Um, some schools are doing great efforts, but I don't see sustainability as part of the main curriculum. It should be taught to children since they're very young. Um, It's equally important as math and geography and biology. Um, It needs to be part of their culture, of the way they see life. It's something they need to learn in school, but they need to bring it back home. And um, as 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 a normal thing, it doesn't have to be a special thing. So at the moment, I see still privileged children having access to this Information to experiences and to you know special programs organized by the government or by private entities, but I don't see this accessible to all. And I think this is the biggest challenge. We need to make sure that this kind of education is um, offered to everyone, accessible to everyone. Otherwise, it's it's going to be just a nice to have as usual or a nice PR, a nice communication. It really needs to become something that drives change and action. That's right.
0: And this year is the year of sustainability, the lead up to COP28. In your opinion, how do you, th- how do you think we're positioned to lead the climate change conversation? Um, and how can food industry contribute to this conversation?
1: Um, when you say we...
0: <laughs> food.
1: <how can> <laughs> F&B. and <laughs> <F&B. laughs> Yes. I think the F&B actually, uh, from what I've seen in the past two years, has been quite of a re- re- revolution. Um, you see a lot of innovation happening, and um, the trends now are are really interesting. So it's about more plant food, plant-based food. Uh, we're looking at um, locally sourced food. Security is a big topic. How do we make sure that we can have food readily available near us? Maybe at the moment I would like to see more again about um, less high-tech solutions that again are accessible only by a few. I would like to see something more accessible. Uh, I would like to see more talks about regenerative agriculture. When we grow food, we need to make sure we understand that it's part of a bigger picture. We need to look at the soil we need to look at um, the, the ecosystem, the environment around it. We need to grow crops together and not go only with monocrops. Another trend is about, you know, um, creating in the lab food, so fake meat, for example, fake fish, which is really interesting and it's fascinating, fascinating in terms of technologies, but... I don't see this solving the problem of hunger, and I don't see this solving the problem of you know what's going to happen when our soil, our soils are not going to be fertile anymore. Um, so it needs again, I think, to to look at different things at the same time I know it's a challenge yes Uh, we need to move forward at the same time (laughs) go backwards a little bit Um, but it's very exciting to see a lot of change happening and at the latest events in in the UAE that I've moderated or participated in I've seen incredible um, change makers and who were sharing you know their experience uh, what they're doing in their communities um, at the grass uh, root level or with uh, the leadership so things are happening and food is definitely a top priority for everyone now
0: and do you think there's an effective way for government entities to create a more sustainable ecosystem like policies or like regulatory frameworks for sure
1: i mean without uh, policies and regulation nothing is really going to change a little bit of everything needs to happen but i feel the private sector is ready they need a push it's, um, and it's, it's, it's for everything. I mean, if you look at uh, energy, where we are today in terms of uh, renewable energy in this country is incredible. But this has happened because of, you know, a will from the leadership, um, policies coming up, and also um, specific um, a will also from the private sector to come on board. Same thing has happened with waste. We used to waste a lot in this country. And finally, a year ago, a couple of years ago, a regulation and and taxation has come into place into the more you waste, the more you're going to pay. Um, And I think with food, we also need to look at this. How much food are we importing in this country? Where does it come from? Um, And how much are we wasting? Should we put a carbon tax on, on food? Um so all this can happen only with the support of the government. And they're already looking into it. I mean, they're very, very active. And uh, the new minister uh, is actually coming. Her previous role was into food security. So she has a special uh, take yes. on that. And it's definitely part of her strategy. So um, I think in terms of, of the Ministry of uh, Climate Change and uh, Environment, Food, is
0: again a priority. Are you inspired by any other cities around the world that we can also um, look at and bring it here in the UAE? Uh, uh, so UAE is the setting the standards.
1: Well here I think we are different, we, it's a desert We've, we're importing a lot as a tradition mm. um, so things here need, need to be done a different way of course, we cannot suddenly become, you know, an agricultural country, <laughs> True. Um, but things are, are happening. And what is really interesting is a lot of research is being done also related to saline water. We also have to think that water is a big challenge for, for our future. We we live in a scarce, in a, in a region where water is scarce. But we're also looking at how to grow crops with saline water. And and this can be really, really um, groundbreaking for so many countries who suffer from not having, you know, uh, sweet water around and they're not able to irrigate. But they live maybe in coastal areas where there is some water, but there, that is unfortunately saline. But what has been done here is is incredible. So also an, an adaptation on how we can... I grow crops using maybe something that we thought was a negative and changing it into a positive. That's
0: beautiful. And uh, why do you think F&B companies should be investing in CSR? Just if you could send one message to <laughs> F&B companies that are not investing in huge uh, CSR campaigns, well, why I think they should.
1: Every single company should invest into CSR, and I think um, FNB is not different. Um, FNB has a big role to play. They have a big footprint uh, in the world in terms of environmental and social footprints. So I think CSR is a way also to first give back, um, realizing the responsibilities and, and trying to take action. But rather than just CSR, I think it's important to look at a bigger picture and maybe at a sustainability strategy. And this is mandatory, I think, today for companies because it's also part of their future. You need to guarantee your business uh, future. So today it's a business as usual, but with the challenges we're facing today, if you don't take measures, if you don't change and adapt, and, and look at sustainability and how to embed it into your business, your business is not going to have a future. So to guarantee that, the FNB needs to, you know, um, change and adapt in terms of uh, sustainability more than CSR. CSR, I feel, is really related to the way you engage with your employees. And, and, and this is very important, but it needs to be more than that. It needs to be what is my business about? What is my footprint, and um, what can I do to to reduce my footprint and have a positive impact? And this is about you know the resources you use, the way you hire, your carbon footprint, um, your your st- different stakeholders. It's it's so big.
0: It's uh, <laughs> sure. the final one. <laughs> so. Um, Being one of the most powerful voices on sustainability and sustainable development in the region, um, what advice would you give to aspiring women like myself who want to create change in the region or beyond?
1: I think actually you'd be surprised, but from my experience, I feel in sustainability, I meet many more women than men. And doing some research, you can actually find that Women are more involved into sustainability by nature, genetics. It's, I think, our way of you know, wanting to protect and secure the future. So more and more professionals around me are women, and they are very, very engaged. Um, I think there's not even need to ask them to come on board. I can see them having a very proactive role in terms of sustainability. My advice would be to... Find your niche because it's such a big topic. Again, it can be food, but it can be you know emissions, it can be energy, it can be reforestation, it can be yeah. social. So find what you really like and then study. There are available courses available everywhere. Actually, today they sent me a, a resource of free sustainability courses. So I think it's out there. It's just a matter of choosing what we're really passionate about and, and go out there and, and work first in our communities. I think that's the first step of sustainability, making our communities and our family sustainable, and then
0: going from there. Yes. Beautiful. And finally, um, you are no uh, stranger for the Golf Food brand or team. How are you hoping Golf Food 2023 to act as a catalyst for change?
1: Well, I think uh, this year is going to be very interesting because with COP28 coming to the UAE, uh, it would be really interesting to see the connection between food, food production, food waste, all the aspects of the food industry on how they actually reflect on carbon emissions, carbon footprint, and what can be done to, to reduce it, to reduce them. So that I think is going to be very interesting uh, to, to hear and to see, yes.
0: Great. Um, Before we wrap up, do you have any last words for our listeners or where they can find you and follow your journey? My
1: um, advice would be to not be afraid of, you know, such big words such as climate change and sustainability. Um, These are things that we can do on our own at home. We can apply them in our offices. It starts small. So like everything, we need to think with one action that we can do, just one, uh, maybe reduce red meat consumption <laughs> <laughs> from five days a week to four to start with. Uh, let's try to buy locally sourced food rather than imported. Little things that, um, that can have a big impact. And um, if they want to know more we welcome them to contact us on our website um there's a lot of information about of course food there's a lot of information about tree planting about how to become more sustainable so it's
0: www.goombook.com Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us, Tatiana. It was lovely to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Less us podcast. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have. And if you did, please share and leave us a review. Thank you for tuning in and bye for now.